Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 470 with Dr. Craig Dowden. I am excited to share this conversation with you because I think it may very well be transformational with regard to changing the way you give and receive feedback forever, as well as the way you give and receive performance reviews. So pretty high stakes, high impact, high fun, if I may say so. So you'll learn one, why the current performance review practice is broken. Two, the key thing not to do when giving feedback. And three, a different and better strategy for regular reviews. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we've referenced, you can find them at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F470. Now here's Craig's good stuff. Craig Dowden, PhD, is an inspiring and thought-provoking executive coach, Forbes author and keynote speaker who partners with leaders and executives to tackle their most important personal and organizational challenges. Craig holds a doctorate in psychology with a concentration in business and is a certified positive psychology coach. In his role as a trusted advisor, he integrates the latest findings in the science of leadership team and organizational excellence in his coaching and consulting work. In 2009, Craig was recognized as one of Ottawa's 40 under 40 business leaders by the Ottawa Business Journal. Thanks to Craig for spending some time with us and thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. It's a trying time that challenges all of our basic assumptions. However, one thing that brings us all together is our common humanity. Now more than ever, teams must come together and work together to solve big challenges. And Trello is here to help. Trello, part of Atlassian's collaborative suite, is an app with an easy-to-understand visual format plus tons of features that make working with your team functional and just plain fun. Teams of all shapes and sizes and companies like Google, Fender, and even Costco all use Trello to collaborate and get work done. With Trello, you can work with your team wherever you are, whether it's at home or in an office. No matter what device you're using, computer, tablet, or phone, Trello syncs across all of them, so you can stay up to date on all the things your team cares about. Keep your workflow going from wherever you are with Trello. Try Trello for free and learn more at Trello.com. That's T-R-E-L-L-O dot com. Trello.com. Now, here's Craig. Craig, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thanks so much for the invitation, Pete. Looking forward to chatting with you. I'm looking forward to it as well. First, I want to hear a quick tale about your nickname, Egg, in high school (laughs) and how you use that to your advantage. Nice. Well, uh, good background uh, searching and sleuthing there. When I was growing up, uh, I was kind of an awkward, gangly, tall kid. And so we would have races around the neighborhood. And so, of course, the classic last one to Craig's house is the rotten egg. And then I was routinely last. So you can see how they quickly made the link between Craig's the rotten egg, Craig's the rotten egg, Craig's the egg, and thus the legend of egg was born. And so not to be thwarted by the nickname, uh, ran for student council president. And we actually had a very boisterous group of supporters. And we had a lot of different students campaign slogans attached to them like uh vote for egg he won't crack under pressure or oh zing or vote for egg or the yolk is on you so we were uh <laughs> got a little playful and apparently that worked uh branding uh won by a, a landslide so uh was was quite the uh quite the campaign very enjoyable 
Oh, well done. Well, I, I'm going to go for an uh, awkward forced segue, and I want to hear about how often people feel like there may be egg on their face <laughs> on the giving and receiving of performance reviews at work. <laughs> exactly. <yeah. laughs> I was inspired. I enjoyed your incoming pitch, and we, we're getting more and more selective these days as we get clearer and clearer on what listeners want. But uh, you nailed it. You and your publicists are got it going on. Performance reviews, that is a pain point for a lot of people. Can you orient us maybe to what's current practice in most organizations with performance reviews and how, how well is that working for us? Well, thank you for the feedback and glad, uh, you know, the, the pitch was received well. And, and yes, it's one of those eternal pain points. What's really interesting is if you look at organizational research, in very few circumstances does management and employees agree on certain things. I mean, you talk about engagement levels, transparency, you you name it, there often tends to be a disconnect between leadership and employees. And yet for performance reviews, this is one of those areas that are universally loathed. Uh, managers, people... That's loathed with a TH, <laughs> not, right. not a V as in Valentine's, a TH as in Thermopylae. Correct. That's the... First TH word I thought of. How about that? Exactly. Okay, continue. So, uh, so yes, they just absolutely, people just dislike them. So managers really dislike giving the feedback and employees really hate receiving the feedback. Oftentimes they'll use a lot of ineffective strategies like the compliment sandwich, which, you know, say something nice and then you uh, follow it up with something really critical. And then of course, just to make sure they leave on a positive note, you end it with a positive. And so all of these tips and tricks just lead to a lot of disappointed participants in this process. I mean, there was a study done a couple of years ago where 55% of people said they didn't feel that their annual performance review was fair or accurate representation of their performance. Two-thirds said there was surprising feedback in the review, <laughs> which you would think that shouldn't happen. And then three-quarters of employees said there were no specific behavioral examples given to support the feedback. So this is a really broken process, which many leading organizations are starting to realize and make changes as a result of it. Whew, yeah. And you know, I'll tell you, this just gets, it fires me up. <laughs> Well, I, I just think feedback is so important. Yes. And it's, I've heard it said that it's the breakfast of champions. Right. And it, it is, it's so powerful and useful as a tool for learning, growth, development, which I am big in, big on. And to hear that in some organizations, this may be the only or the majority of the feedback they get, uh, which is sad as well. And, and then to hear that it's, um, you know, not working for people and is inaccurate, doesn't have specific examples. It's, it, it makes me, it makes me sad because it could be a cause for celebration. I actually enjoyed getting reviews because I viewed them. Well, one at Bain that gave very detailed, thorough reviews with lots of examples, and I like that. Mm. But two, I, I thought I'm in this job largely for the learning, right. and a lot of learning is happening during my performance review for me. And thusly, I was like excited to go into them because I thought this is part of my compensation. It's like I'm getting a bonus. And uh, I, I was a little bit odd. <laughs> Most of my colleagues were like, "Okay, Pete, I, I kind of like it a little, but you're weird." <laughs> but 
organizations that are not, you know, uh, advanced or uh, in, in that domain of, of which it sounds like are the majority leave a, a pretty crappy experience all the way around. Well, for sure. And I think, you know, and, and I love your personal experience and, and being a bit of an outlier, as you say, in terms of just loving the process. And when you look at the evidence, people are open to receiving feedback. And I think there's just a lot of challenges. I think that if it's constructed well, the conversation can go fantastic because it provides an opportunity for leaders to give some feedback to people in terms of where they are and where they need to be. It also provides people in the organization an opportunity to learn and grow, which this is one of the key when you look at the research around engagement. That's one of the key indicators. Do people feel like they're learning new skills, having an opportunity to challenge themselves and grow? So fundamentally, the process is a wonderful one to really drive and facilitate peak performance and learning. Yet, unfortunately, the way in which we handle it just ends up leading invariably to some really challenging circumstances because people either don't deliver the feedback particularly well. Doug Stone out of Harvard did some fabulous work around the different types of feedback. So this is one huge challenge in terms of how some missteps that we make. So he identified three primary forms of feedback. So there's appreciation, which is, hey, Pete, great job. Really love what you're doing. Uh, Couldn't achieve what we're doing without you. Then there's coaching, which is essentially bi-directional conversation where you're exploring with someone different ways of approaching particular challenge or opportunity. And then the last one is evaluation, which is best essentially saying, hey, Pete, this is where you are based on what we initially projected or what our end goals were. And so let's discuss that. And so based on Doug's research, and I've spoken to him extensively around this, the difficulty is it's almost like the movie Ghostbusters, right? Don't cross the streams. And unfortunately, we have this terrible habit of crossing the streams. So according to his work, and he's been at the Harvard Negotiation Project for, you know, well over 30 years, and what he's found is we'll combine those. So if we want to give appreciation, give appreciation. The most common blunder is, is that we combine coaching and evaluation. And as he shared with me a little while ago, he said, you know, Pete, you could deliver the best coaching advice anyone has ever received or the best coaching conversation anyone has ever experienced. And if you combine it with evaluation, guess what happens? They basically just totally lose all of the coaching and focus on the evaluation. So why did I score a three out of five on this? And so he said for the maximum impact to ensure that feedback is received and is actionable, the best thing we can possibly do focus on evaluation for one conversation, and then have the coaching conversation following up on that. So don't mix them. And sometimes, again, in the interest of efficiency, we mix the two. We're like, hey, we'll do the evaluation and then spend time coaching so that the person can really put this into practice. Unfortunately, even though it may intuitively make sense or feel like it makes sense, in practice, it has an opposite effect and actually leads to real challenges in the development and adoption of new behaviors. Well, that's a very helpful rule of thumb that uh, I think that you could 
take you far just following that forever so you were saying let us not mingle the coaching <laughs> and evaluation bits of feedback in the same conversation because we're, we're going to miss out on on that coaching goodness now is it kosher to to mingle appreciation and coaching or uh, are those two uh, helpful to be separated again the safest route based on the work that he has done is to separate them keep them because again it's going to be around hey great job this is wonderful really appreciate your efforts on this so keeps the conversation focused on we want you to be feel recognized and acknowledged for your contribution once again as soon as you throw coaching into the mix the person may forget about the appreciation and then focus on what are different strategies i can use around this so keeping our focus on what kind of feedback do we want to deliver and then maintain that focus on delivering that message and then later you can talk again have a coaching conversation so all of those pieces can be much more effective in terms of supporting behavioral change and or maintenance in someone else by being cognizant of those three different pieces of feedback. Okay, that's cool. Well, now you have a particular approach you recommend when it comes to performance reviews. Tell us about this. Well, I think it's basically a do-it-yourself employee review and uh, Daniel Pink you know, international best-selling author talks about this in drive around having do-it-yourself performance reviews. And there's lots of fundamental reasons as to why this is so effective. So number one is, is that they become so feedback becomes less threatening through familiarity. So every month, if you and I are going to sit down, Pete, and have a conversation about performance, then I'm going to basically hand the reins over to you and say, okay, tell me how you did. Tell me how you, where you think you thrived. Tell me where there were some challenges. And so in that way, what it does is empower someone else to be able to deliver their own feedback conversation. Also, there's less kind of threat around it because it's more familiar to them. And it also empowers the other person to highlight some things within their own performance. So really, it enables someone else to take the lead. One of the worst things around performance reviews and how organizations typically do it is that you're going to deliver the feedback to me. So it's very unidirectional and you'll essentially stand on high and essentially pronounce judgment on how I've done over the past 12 months. By making a do-it-yourself performance review and do it on a monthly basis, it's much more common, frequent routine. And now the individual feels empowered around what they're going to share with you. And so that provides a sense of autonomy. It provides a sense of input. It provides a sense of ownership. And it's really framed as a learning conversation, which is so essential. And then the benefit to managers, one of the key benefits to leaders and executives and business owners that I work with that they'll talk to me about in terms of their own practices, they'll have a laundry list of feedback that they want to be able to provide to the person. Well, oftentimes their employees will tick off the boxes of all the things that they want to share. So it takes the pressure off them to deliver that message. And secondarily, in some cases, you will volunteer things that I don't even have on my list. So it's a really cool opportunity to be able to get insight that you might not have captured with someone else. And again, without the pressure of trying to figure out how can I best frame that conversation. What's also really awesome is that you know, if you are the manager, like you, you've reduced so much of your workload right. as, right. as well. Uh, right. <laughs> 
<laughs> I love that. Yes. And those other benefits are huge in terms of, okay, so you're less defensive because you're the one generating these things about yourself. So are there any kind of key particular prompts that you recommend to, to structure or to launch onto a DIY review? Or is it just like, hey, how you think you did? Have at it. Yeah, great question. And I think it's important to explain uh, to people. And this is, again, a major gap around just feedback processes in general is is that uh, they're rarely explained. The purpose is rarely explained. So leaders, executive business owners that I've worked with, they'll talk about. So what we want to do is make feedback an ongoing part of our DNA. Feedback is not something every six months or 12 months. We want to get to a space where we want to have feedback as a regular part of our organization and our organizational DNA because the world moves at such a fast pace these days. We need to have information and need to have it readily available. And so what we're going to do is have a monthly performance review where you come in and tell me where you've done well and what your successes are, as well as some of the challenge areas, and even with some proposals around what do you think you and I can do to be able to address them. And so it's a wonderful way within that prompt. And then once you have that discussion in the first month, you can do a check-in after the first conversation and ask your employee, how did that go? What did you think about it? You know, is there any more specific direction that that I can provide and and anything I can do differently? So you really start to have uh, open up the, the dialogue around that space. And I think another really powerful benefit of this is that by the employee sharing their feedback with you, then at the end of the conversation, you can say, hey, do you mind if I share a couple of components or a couple of observations that I have? So it really benefits from the reciprocity principle. If you ask someone how they're doing, well, they'll generally ask you how you're doing. So it's a wonderful way to create a bi-directional conversation that really kind of lowers the anxiety on both levels because it's seen as, well, this is cooperative. We need each other in order to paint an accurate picture here. And so then how do we deal with, I don't know, numbers, ratings, rankings, competencies, you know, raises, bonuses, like the the numbery things of it all? Well, I think this is where some of the performance review processes are really broken uh, because like a forced ranking system, as an example, right? And this is where a lot of them lose credibility, which is, well, we've got to have a certain number of stars and a certain number of average performance and a certain number of low performances. So this is where a lot of organizations are just redefining how they do performance reviews. Uh, Some of the larger, more progressive organizations are just getting rid of them all together and moving it to a more kind of check-in type of process. Uh, Adobe, as an example, is one organization that just stopped doing them all together. And so then I think this is an opportunity for senior leadership in an organization to start talking about. So what is the purpose of feedback? Because if the purpose of feedback is going to be around um, performance metrics as an example. Well, now, you know, what motivation is there for individuals to disclose what's going on? So I think the metrics are are an important part of it. And how do we achieve it? Now the, the process is around, okay, so how do we have that feedback conversation so we maximally set people up for success 
so that they can attain the goals that they set out. So again, fundamentally, so let's go back to that standard kind of bell curve example that so many organizations use from a metric standpoint or a, a financial incentive standpoint. Hey, if everybody is knocking the ball out of the park through terrific feedback conversations, isn't that awesome? So I think this is where fundamentally we have to rethink how we deliver incentives and how the feedback system is connected to that and be much more thoughtful around its implementation. So Craig, within this model, how do you think about raises and promotions and compensation sorts of things? Are those like a completely different set of conversations kind of separate from the performance review conversations? Yeah, I think that's a, a great question. And they are. They are separate because you can talk about have the objectives, the goals, what are we trying to achieve, be it quarterly, monthly, yearly. And then that'll be a different discussion around. So how well did I do? in terms of achieving those objectives. And then when we talk about the do-it-yourself performance review, essentially, and that's something that could be readily integrated that into that framework, which is, okay, for my Q1 goals, if I'm doing this monthly, how do I think I'm doing? Why do I think that I'm doing as well or not as well as I'm uh, doing? And then be able to provide that as a counterbalance to that discussion. So they are issues that will be dealt with separately. Okay, gotcha. And so then I'm curious if if we have individuals listening who are thinking, boy, DIY reviews sound really cool. We have a, a broken review process that we've <laughs> sort of discussed already also operating. Have you seen just sort of like individual professionals and their managers say, you know what, this is cool. We're going to go do it, even if nobody else in our organization is? <laughs> and how's that worked? For sure. Yeah. And I think one of the challenges is, is that it can feel awkward almost like doing a new, you know, a new exercise at the gym, it can feel awkward. So I think what's really important is, is for both the manager as well as their team can talk about, okay, like this may be awkward and we may have some stops and starts. And so let's raise our hand and learn through the process. And I think when they have done it, what's another challenge is that the manager in particular, the leader almost has a scorecard and what they may feel is the quote-unquote right answer. And so giving control over to the employee can be can feel daunting. And what's going to happen? So there's an uneasiness. And it's really interesting. It almost, to me, the parallel is having a difficult conversation. I do a lot of work with executives and executive teams, and particularly if someone is having conflict with another colleague uh, or other members of the team, when they actually sit down and have the discussion, it's not nearly as painful or as challenging as they thought. It's the exact same thing with do-it-yourself performance reviews. When it's over, a lot of times I'll hear the executive say, wow, you know what? Like my employee shared things that I didn't see, I didn't have on my yeah. list, I didn't feel was as great of an issue. Or I found that the conversation was much more constructive and productive. Or if they didn't raise something that I had on my list, it seemed like they appreciated that I didn't have the same level of defensiveness sharing my feedback with them. So there are so many benefits from doing it once again, kind of acknowledging that awkwardness. And I think it's interesting because it is a very different way of approaching things. And I think the other pieces too is that I hear is that then feedback becomes more normalized. It's part of day-to-day, -day, so it's less awkward. So you don't raise your hand when you only have something to complain about or a bad thing. So it just becomes a natural extension of a discussion that you have each day.
Okay, cool. And so then you have seen then those individuals uh, who just decide, screw the broken corporate system <laughs> that we're in, we're going to do this on top of it. And, and it works just fine once they get past those kind of awkward adjustment bits. Well, I love that you highlighted that because let's say you are working in an organization where they want to hold on to the standard performance review. There's nothing that prevents a leader yeah. from adding that into the toolkit and say, you know what, we're going to apply this within the traditional or within our mandated performance review system. And what's interesting, the benefits still translate because now I'm having regular conversations. You and I are having regular conversations, Pete. And so then we can talk about things. And then when the actual performance review comes up, We've laid so much of the groundwork that they are really straightforward. Very little, if anything, is surprising, which is the way it should be. And so fundamentally, whether or not your organization adopts it at large or whether or not they resist and then you do it yourself, this strategy can be used regardless. Very cool. Well, so I'd love it if we could maybe do a role play or a demonstration of a DIY performance review in action. I, I mean, I guess, you know... A part of it is quiet, reflective thought <laughs> on your own before you engage <laughs> in the conversation. So let's say that I did that. <laughs> right. That's right. Assuming that. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll make this like, okay, let's just say you are the owner of my whole company mm -hmm. and I am an employee who is in charge of making the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Mm -hmm. And we're having a monthly check-in here. How would we start? Well, I would say, Pete, thank you for taking the time to come in and meet with me today. As you know, we do do-it-yourself performance review on a monthly basis, really so we can have an open and constructive dialogue around how things are going. And so appreciate you taking the time to go through the questions, reflection questions. And fundamentally, what I want us to talk about this afternoon are a couple of things. Number one, how do you feel things are going in terms of the goals that you set out this month, how do you feel that you're performing? Then also, what are the gaps? What are some areas where you feel there are possibilities to raise your level of performance? And then also, what's some feedback that you have for me? So how can I do a better job of supporting you in terms of where you are and what you're trying to achieve? And then lastly, I would love to be able to share my insights, observations with you to close the conversation and just talk about the next steps. Okay, cool. Well, well, thank you, Craig. Uh, well, I really appreciate you investing the time to do this with all of your many, many direct reports. It, uh, it, it could add up, perhaps. And I feel that it's going smashingly well with regard to the podcast, having completed the huge listener survey and getting a clearer, clearer idea of what people are, are into and, and seeking those folks out to, to deliver upon that. Um, I think in terms of, of the gaps, I think it's, it's that I've not yet sort of systematized an approach so that we can sort of take listener requests, you know, write to guests like very quickly in, in terms of uh, figuring out how to do that over and over again when it's it's a lot harder to to do that than to just snag a, an author who sounds relevant, who's got a book coming out because they say yes immediately to uh, invitations on the podcast. And my feedback for you, Craig, is that we speak very rarely and I would love it <laughs> if, if you could provide some more input more frequently into my performance there. So that's what I'm thinking right now. That's fabulous. Well, a couple of things and uh, I, I'll certainly add that to my, I, that's valuable feedback and I appreciate it. And I agree that if we had an opportunity to speak more, have much more constructive conversations 
conversation. So I definitely will commit to doing that. A couple of things that I would, I think you touched on in terms of what has been going awesomely well and thrilled to hear that. So congratulations. And that's great news and great feedback. I really appreciate that you took your insights from customer feedback and client feedback that you have. So that's really compelling. And so what steps, what are some lessons that you've learned through the positive feedback you received in terms of what you're going to continue to do and then also how you ideas you may have from what they shared on the positive spectrum around how to potentially move the podcast to another level certainly well i think i got the idea as far as the demonstration goes and then just to add to that too and and back to systematize the approach and then on the flip side then i would ask questions like okay that's great you know i think it's really valuable that you looked at that what are some ideas that you think could assist you in that and then how might i be able to support you and systemize systematizing do you have the resources that you need so you kind of counterbalance because sometimes and the reason i started with the positive is sometimes people will kind of focus right in on the negative you know like where you improve and so there can be lessons learned on both sides of the docket and then you want to ask questions on each of those follow-up questions in each of those domains that's cool and I, i hear what you're saying with regard to the reduction in defensiveness because it's totally like well hey i brought it up <laughs> um, <laughs> exactly you know, and, and, and even if i didn't bring it up it's like i'm already in the zone of having thoughtfully introspected on what are some things i might do better and so it's not like you're giving me a jarring sort of state shifting attack like here's how you're screwing up like what you know right. it's sort of like <laughs> right. no this is what we're talking about and 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 i am already kind of in that place so it's a lot easier and i love that you said that you brought it up. And I think that's what's really important as well, because let's say you bring it up and then I reframe it or I probe a little and then you get defensive. Then as a leader, as a business owner, you can come back and say, well, Pete, you know, just for a moment, appreciate the response and just, you know, I'm following up on something that you raised. So sometimes back to dealing with fear or dealing with a trigger, maybe I'm triggered by it, then this can help raise, bring the discussion back on point where it's like, oh yeah, (laughs) I did raise that. And so I wonder why that, you know, what was, what triggered me in that? So there's real richness to that discussion. Oh yeah. I guess certainly if you, if you want to go meta there for a moment Mm -hmm. with regard to what's happening and then, you know, I don't think it probably happens sometimes. It's probably rare that folks start crying and sharing some, some deep historical (laughs) therapy type elements, but they might. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that might be just the thing uh, for that particular conversation. But it, it could be like, oh, you know, it's always been a little bit of a sore spot for me ever since, you know, this happened, that uh, I've been quite conscientious about this sort of thing. It, it gets me going. And it's like, oh, that's really good to understand. Well, and this is, uh, as an example, I mean, this is what then can bring a conversation back versus if you raise it as the feedback provider versus uh, operating as a feedback facilitator. So if I get triggered defensively by something I've openly shared, that in and of itself shows the complexity and complications attached to delivering feedback. Because hearing it from you might trigger me differently than if I'm talking about it myself. Because if I'm self-anointing, 
and self-identifying, that can feel safer. Then when you do it, then it's like, wow, okay, I'm, I'm reacting to this. So it can be a really powerful moment of self-insight for the individual because they can actually hold up a mirror and say, gee, even though this is something that I recognize within myself, if anyone else around here points it out, I can get defensive. And then through a conversation with the manager, now they can add that to, hey, you may want to be aware of that in terms of how you receive feedback. So it, it can be a really powerful learning mechanism in that way. Well, that's cool. Well, so we talked a bit about some of the emotions there with regard to removing some of the defensiveness in there. Do you have any other pro tips when it comes to handling some of the emotional bits? If folks are scared to talk about stuff, they're frustrated to revisit things again and again, they're disappointed that they're not, maybe they're hearing some surprises. Like there's a whole lot of emotion wrapped up into all of this. Any kind of overarching pro tips for for working with that well? For sure. Well, a couple of things, uh, you know, I th- you can have that as almost preparatory. So when we have these, and that's what's beautiful about having this as a systematized approach where it's monthly, you can say, okay, during our monthly do-it-yourself performance reviews, there may be times when you feel, you know, you're fearful, frustrated, disappointed in what we're talking about. You know, how can I best show up to minimize triggering those emotions within you? And so it has, and what are some things that may lead you to experience this poorly? So before we even embark on this journey together, you can start to lay out the ground rules about, hey, if you say purple unicorn, that can tend to trigger me in a particular direction. So then it's like, okay, now I can manage that. The other piece can be around saying, well, there may be times when I have to share constructive feedback, critical feedback in terms of what I see. How can I best deliver that so it's received in with positive intent and so I can make it as constructive a message as possible? And then what are some things that I can do if I sense that you are reacting emotionally to be able to address that? And so once again, same thing, where the person is actually sharing the answers to that exam, now when you bring that up, then you all have already had a preordained conversation about, hey, Pete, we did talk about, and I sense that this is happening. So as we agreed, I'm doing X, and now it's, oh, okay. So it softens that transition. That's handy. That's handy. And I think for all of us, I mean, as a a life hack, it's a wonderful opportunity personally or professionally to talk to the people in our lives about how do I best receive feedback? How do I prefer to give feedback? What's the best context? What's the safest environment? And how can I best share those feelings? So as another example, you can say, if there's anything that's in my approach or what's happening that's provoking fear or frustration or disappointment, please raise your hand because to maximize the impact of this discussion and really leverage the power of what we're doing here, we want to ensure that those emotions are minimized. They may not be eliminated entirely. Our job collectively is to figure out how to minimize those so we can have a safe discussion and really talk about what matters. So for in order for us both to get the most out of it, this is what we need. So anything I can do to facilitate that, let me know. That's good. Well, Craig, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. Uh, I think we've uh, I've really appreciated the questions and, and the comments and the exploration. And I think, to me, the most important piece is the research shows that the vast majority of us desire feedback. We want to receive feedback. 
We want to figure out how we can stretch ourselves and grow. And so for us as feedback providers and receivers, it's critical to develop both of those skills. And again, I think to me, the research in that is so important that in order to be effective, we have to excel in both and be really committed to doing that and being curious explorers when we're fulfilling both roles. All right. Thank you. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Favorite quote? I'm not sure if it's a quote, maybe it's a practice. Something that I think is really powerful for me is around the answer is always no, unless you ask the question. Mm -hmm. So it's something that for me personally, as well as a lot of clients that I work with, sometimes we can put up artificial barriers and assume there's going to be a negative like no this isn't going to happen and i feel like it's so empowering for us to recognize that just by asking the question asking someone to be a guest on a podcast asking someone to interview asking someone to have a coffee to discuss a business opportunity if we don't allow ourselves the opportunity to play the game then the answer is going to be no and we're going to have a losing hand and so to remind ourselves of the power in asking questions what i like about that is it's sort of like there's a guaranteed zero percent chance <laughs> if you don't ask and even if you've upgraded yourself to a one percent chance divided by zero it's like an infinite increase <laughs> you know, exactly. It, it's not like you're 10 times more likely <laughs> to get a reply. You're infinitely more likely to get a reply in your favor, uh, even if you're only going to like a half a percent or 1% chance. And I've been impressed. I, I think one guy, I did a big blog post about him on a different website, but he um, reached out to just tons of people saying, hey, could you, you want to talk about consulting over coffee? Mm -hmm. and, and he had a very detailed notebook about who he reached out to and what the results were. And I was like, whoa. Tell me, how often do people say yes? <laughs> yeah, and and he had computed. He had because he'd reach out to like more than a hundred people. It was like twenty eight percent, right? Of folks said yes to a total stranger to like chat with them about career stuff. And that was mind blowing to me. Like on average, if you ask four strangers, you'd expect one of them to say yes. That's pretty cool. <laughs> it is, and I think again, and a wonderful. Uh, piece of reflection for us around, okay, how much do I get in my own way of advancing the goals that are most important to me? So if I'm okay with receiving a no, then that's okay. Then I think, you know, that's wonderful. And so why not? Right. And so I, I would rather, I feel it's important that we remind ourselves that it's better for us to put it out there and then be told no, rather than not do it and then you know then you get zero percent as you said and i mean 28 percent. and people like to help that's the other really interesting thing when you ask people do you like helping other people most people say yeah it feels good and i try to do that as much as possible yet we can be really reluctant to ask other people just again to talk about consulting or to talk about how to be an effective leader or to build a great podcast and then we're eliminating a particular you know potential resources for us to learn from and grow relationships with and thrive one quote that did come to mind uh, to be able to circle back to your question remember interviewing Jim Whitehurst, the CEO of Red Hat. And uh, so they just finished, I think, the largest acquisition ever, uh, multi-billion dollars. And he talked about during his time, he said, people have an amazing capacity for forgiveness if you give them the opportunity to do so. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was very powerful as well. That is good. Thank you.
And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? Oh, that's so challenging. Every piece of research to me, there's just golden nuggets. I love the one which showed that empathy is the third strongest predictor of executive excellence. So that was done by the management research group. Uh, so the third strongest predictor of executive excellence out of 22. And then it was the strongest predictor of ethical leadership out of the 22. And the top two were strategy and communication. And so I think what's really fascinating about their research is not only is empathy the third strongest predictor of executive excellence, you can make a pretty compelling argument as to empathy uh, informs our ability to think strategically as well as communicate effectively. So I feel like the fact that empathy is either directly or indirectly related to what I call the holy trinity of executive excellence, I think that's really, really powerful. And especially considering how empathy is going down, our levels of empathy are reducing at a pretty substantial rate. And it's been identified as a key competitive advantage for organizations and executives. So it's this really powerful piece of research, which I love to site and talk about. Wow. Uh, let's review. Do you recall the author journal article? Uh, so it was out of the management research group. So uh, they're in the Northeastern yeah. US and they had a white paper attached to it. So mm -hmm. they sent me some of their individual data as well. So they have white papers on their website. It was over a half a million people contributed to that. I referenced the study in one of the articles I wrote up for the Financial Post. So they have internal white papers. So they have hundreds of thousands of 360 feedbacks that they've run. And that was a really compelling study that they put together. Oh, fascinating. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And how about a favorite book? Wow. So tough. I mean, anything by Dan Pink, Adam Grant, Marshall Goldsmith, I think is exceptional. One book that I love to refer because it's relatively unknown is by William Urey, who wrote Getting to Yes. So a lot of people know that book. My favorite of the trilogy that he wrote was called The Power of a Positive No. And I just found the concept so really compelling in terms of its application and execution. So essentially what his argument, and he does a lot of the toughest international negotiations and crisis situations, and he talks about how we're so... People are generally awful at saying no, and because we're so afraid of hurting someone else, and so either we do one of two things, we either avoid uh, the other person or ghost them all together, or we just say yes to things we're not prepared to do. So in his book, he provides this really awesome methodology to be able to deliver a positive no, which basically goes yes, no, yes, question mark. So essentially, hey, Pete, I appreciate that that's really important to you. The timeline for me is not going to work because of these competing commitments. How about we do X? So it's affirm the other person, affirm my own position, and then propose a solution with a question mark saying, hey, I'm prepared to collaborate. And it's just absolutely golden. And how about a favorite tool so that it helps you be awesome at your job? Tool? I love StrengthsFinder. I find doing a StrengthsFinder is really powerful. Uh, and I love having access. I subscribe to HBR. So I love, I have to say, I, I really enjoy getting the articles and blog posts that come through there. And a favorite habit? Wow, a favorite habit? I would say there's a great book called That One Thing. 
uh, that was written by Keller Williams, the real estate. Oh yeah, it's good. Uh, and it's amazing. And so I, I strive to each day say, what's that one thing that if I do it will move the needle more than anything else. And so really be focused on the one thing, making sure by the end of each day, I have done my one thing. And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks? They say, yes, Craig, that's brilliant. (laughs) I mean, I think the power of the positive no is really powerful. I think really the importance of letting go, I think a lot of, so the power of I know. So when I have discussions with people and they have a conflict with someone, again, personally or professionally, I'll say, okay, well, have you talked to Pete about this? No. Uh, Well, how come? Like what was, and, and then they'll say, well, I know how he's going to respond. And I'll say, okay, well, how do you know that? And they'll say, well, I just know. Okay. And I'll say, okay, well, did he ever, have you tried to approach him about this topic? And then he shut you down or a similar topic and he, he reacted this way. No. Have you ever been in a social setting where you observed him react in that way? No. <laughs> have you heard third hand, like, uh, you know, around the water cooler that he's done this? No. And then it's, Hey, do you know what? Are you sure that that's, that he's going to, how do you know this? Uh, and I think that's really powerful in terms of challenging our own, uh, insights. And Craig, if folks want to learn more, or get in touch, where would you point them? CraigDowden.com is the best way. And also at Craig Dowden on Twitter and, and you can use my name on LinkedIn. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Well, I would say to think about the impact that you want to have on the world and and, and each day, uh, both in, in any organization or community that you serve, and be mindful of what your core values are. And then at the end of every day, sit back and see the degree to which you're living your core values. So that can take, and a lot of my coaching clients, I do it as well, do a quick five-minute take on, hey, am I ha- did I do today what I said? out to do? Am I, am I living my values every day? And a lot of research shows the better we are at accomplishing that, the more effective we are and the more likely we are to achieve our goals. And happier too, I imagine. <laughs> and much happier. Yeah, exactly. A, a, an added bonus. <laughs> yeah, certainly. Well, Craig, this has been fun. You know, Thank you and, and good luck in all your adventures. Thanks. Well, I look forward to uh, going back to our performance review and staying in touch. So I'll commit oh, to that. <laughs> I really appreciated Craig's wisdom and I really appreciate our sponsors. Check them out. Wow, I love, 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 love Craig's tip about not crossing streams when it comes to feedback because it really is so true because I've been in that boat where you you get a number. It's like, okay, why am I three and not a four? I think I work pretty hard. I, I deserve a four. When And you're not listening to the great coaching. Or you hear a appreciation, a compliment, a thank you. And if you then get the, the coaching and here's all the things you did wrong, you sort of discount the power of the appreciation and the thank you. And at the same time, I understand the temptation to cross those streams because like, hey, this is our time together one-on-one. Uh, let's cover all the stuff that I need to tell you one-on-one while I'm, I'm telling you those things. It's wild. As I was sort of leading my own staff, I was I had his words reverberating in my head and I'm thinking about some things I want to say across multiple dimensions there and then thinking, well, that sure be convenient while, while I've got them. It's like, oh, well, well, no, but it wouldn't be optimal in terms of, of how they're receiving it. So huge stuff. I, I think if you 
internalize that. That could take you far. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F470, or just expand that in your podcast app of choice. And I hope you'll push subscribe to catch our next guest. We got Scott Young. He is talking about ultra learning, how he did some pretty cool feats of ultra learning from covering the entire four-year MIT computer science curriculum in one year and some of the practices that you too can apply to making that happen. Until next time, in peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.